This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov, um, I was reading up um, some of the press and social media about a, an event that has been described as the wedding of the year. The wedding of the, not the year, but the wedding of the century. And this uh, accolade belongs to a Palestinian business tycoon, Tarek El Nacher. He is the founder and CEO of the Al Huda Petroleum Group, and he recently married his son off mm-hmm. uh, an event that was held near to Ramallah, and apparently 60,000 people, 60,000 people were invited to celebrate the wedding. The wedding was held on a, an, an, an area near to Ramallah, which apparently was nine acres in size and the um the uh, food bill apparently the wedding the whole wedding and the food bill came to almost two million dollars 1.9 million us dollars was the budget for this wedding uh we're told that there are there were 450 sheep slaughtered for the event with over a ton of shawarma served (laughs) six tons of fruit and a ton of sweet desserts no talk about how much uh, wine or alcohol was consumed, um, but apparently this uh, really put um, all other weddings to shame. So those people who have recently married off children, $1.9 million was spent on this particular oh wedding. Oh, my word. A ton of shawarma. Apparently a ton of shawarma. Oh, that's a lot of shawarma. That's a lot of protein. It's a lot of shawarma. Some, yeah. some, some people's dream out there, but Absolutely. apparently that would go down. Yeah, yeah like, uh, like a ton of bricks. All right, uh, consequences uh, continue to be felt in the aftermath of the revelation that the meeting took place recently between the foreign minister of Libya and Israel in Rome. This is a fascinating story because I think it's got so many aspects to it, doesn't it? It really does. Um, and so let's try and kind of just summarize where we're at. Yesterday we spoke about the fact that the meeting had taken place in Rome. It seems almost certain that the meeting took place in Rome, that it was pre-planned, that there was um, a certain uh, deliberation about the meeting, which was coordinated by the Italian uh, um, prime minister. Um, but since then... There's been so much backwards and forwards. First of all, denials that the meeting did take place. The, um, in the meantime, the Libyan foreign minister has apparently been fired from her job. Uh, Najla Mangush, apparently she's been fired from her, from her job as the foreign minister. And she's actually fled from Libya and taken refuge in Turkey for her own safety. Now, um, 
um, the the story that then came out after she denied that there was a deliberate meeting was that she then came out saying, actually, the meeting did take place. Not only did the meeting take place, she says, but this was fully coordinated with her prime minister, who knew ahead of time that this was going to be a pre-planned sit-down meeting in Rome between the Israeli foreign minister and herself uh, representing Libya as the foreign minister, and that this was all um, coordinated ahead of time. Um, In the meantime, the U.S. administration has come out being very, very critical of Israel for leaking this information uh, and saying that really this is going to make things very, very difficult Mm. for any future endeavors to try to create um, some peace arrangements, try to normalize ties with any of the other Arab countries. Um, Whether normalization was or was not on the agenda um, remains to be seen. But just a little interesting snippet that I found is that actually there is a law in Libya that was enacted in 1957 which makes it illegal in Libya to normalize ties with Israel. That is a real law in Libya that makes this all very illegal. Now, um, we know that there have been secret meetings between Libyan representatives and Israelis over an, an extended period of time, even dating back to the regime of Muammar Gaddafi. Um, apparently, he reached out on a few occasions to try and get some Israeli assistance. Apparently, one of his sons was involved in trying to broker arrangements uh, with Israel. But um, all I can say is that if I was to try to kind of pull a little bit of organization around what has been a really crazy, chaotic, disorganized situation, is that it seems to me as if there was a deliberate attempt being brokered by the U.S. and by Italy to bring Libya together with Israel. Um, I think the Italians even predicated their um, uh, agreement to allow a flight route between Italy and Libya, they predicated that agreement on the Libyans agreeing to meet with Israel in Rome. So there was certainly some work that was going on in the background. It seems to me that the Israeli delegation simply got a, a little above themselves in releasing this information into the public domain. This was a secret meeting. I think it should have remained secret. If it had remained secret, I think things would have been okay. It seems that even though the Libyan government were intent upon doing this and really did do it with um, a certain amount of preparation and intention, that the Libyan people are simply not ready for this right now. And when it came out into the public domain that this was happening and there was such a huge backlash from the Libyan street, the Libyan government went into a bit of a panic and said, we're going to try and deny it, we're going to pretend like it didn't happen um, in order to try and save face because they're Um, political situation in Libya is somewhat precarious at best. And so they were trying to just kind of save their own face by trying to deny things. In the meantime, of course, um, Mangush has had to uh, flee off to Turkey for her own safety. Um, And I think that that's probably going to be the end of any links between Israel and Libya, at least for the time being. And hopefully when things happen in the future, if indeed it does happen, it will be kept secret rather than released out um, at a time when they just simply couldn't control the flow of information. Why? What would the reason have been for the for the Israeli government 
to have announced it? Is it to try and and bolster a P, the PR of a government that, that doesn't have great PR, uh, or is there something else to the story? Well, um, I think it's exactly what you've mentioned, that the government is really struggling for good news right now. The, strug- the government, um, uh, you know, on the Israeli street, um, there is so much anti-government sentiment right now, really um, surrounding the whole issue of the judicial reform. Um, and the Netanyahu government seems to have really placed a lot of its success or failure upon the ability to bring more countries to the Abraham Accords. And we do know, for example, that Prime Minister Netanyahu is very intent on bringing Saudi Arabia to the party for him that will really be a measure of success for this particular um, prime ministerial period that is in right now. But if he's able to bring other countries, additional countries to the party and sign agreements with those, I think that he will then be able to tout huge success um, as prime minister on his part, even though uh, domestically things are really precarious. So I think that he was just very, very eager to allow this information into the public domain to somehow save a bit of face from uh, what has been lost through the judicial reform process. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just crazy, very, very scary, because it's, uh, it's just a government once again shooting itself in the foot. Finance Minister Smotrich has released funds uh, to the Arab sector under supervision. So uh, how was this arrangement arrived at? So this has been quite a deliberate um, arrangement, uh, you know, to the credit of Finance Minister Smotrich, who... Um, is probably inclined not to um, allow this money to go to the Arab sector if he was to be um, if he was to be loyal to his own political beliefs. But as finance minister, he obviously has a much broader responsibility to Israel and um, to the continued operation and safe operation of what's happening uh, around this area. And so, there was a five-hour meeting that was apparently held at the offices of the Shin Bet in the presence of not only Finance Minister Smotrich himself, but also the head of the Shin Bet, Ronen Bar, was in attendance, along with um, other ministers of the government, including um, the, uh, the uh, including the head of the police, and in, the police commissioner, and into, including the interior minister, Moshe Arbel. They were all in attendance at this huge meeting that took place, along with heads of local governments, local Arab leaders, um, in order to try to create a mechanism for allowing this money, 200 million shekels all in all, to be transferred to the interior ministry within the coming weeks and thereafter to be transferred to local municipalities. Some of the money will go to Arab municipalities, and that was really the subject of this discussion. There is also some money that will go to Jewish municipalities that was also under discussion at the time. But for me, what was really interesting was that after this whole five-hour session where Smotrich said that he wanted to make sure that there was some sort of an oversight mechanism to ensure that money did not go for the use of terror organizations or crime families at all, but the money would be going for uh, for uh, appropriate and uh, positive use um, and not to be uh, filtered through the criminal organization. So he felt satisfied that he had achieved that, but that the mayor of Kfarkasim, which is, of course, an Arab uh, town, also made the announcement that he thought that uh, all sides were in agreement, and he came out saying that the oversight mechanism 
that would apply not only to local authorities, which are run by Arabs, but indeed Jewish local authorities as well. He said that as a result of that agreement, he left the meeting feeling what he termed newly optimistic. So he felt good about what had been agreed upon. And let's just put all of this into context because what we're seeing in the Arab community, and we've spoken about this a few times, is all of this criminal activity with so many people being killed. And in recent weeks, we've noticed a huge increase in targeting uh, Arab personalities who are running for local government elections in the upcoming November local government election. Quite a number of people who put themselves forward as candidates have been targeted. Some of them have even been shot at and some of them have even been killed. Candidates who have put themselves forward. And apparently these are people who are not supported by the crime families. And one candidate yesterday announced that he's withdrawing from the race due to intimidation that he's received from crime families. So this is how strong the uh, criminal element has become within the Arab towns and villages, that they're actually targeting local government personalities, people who are not supportive. Mm -hmm. Of those crime organizations and so this money really needs to go to the right areas and we don't want to see that the money is ultimately somehow filtered down through the crime organizations and I think that in that context Smotrich is absolutely right to make sure that the Shin Bet is overseeing that the police are overseeing it to make sure that the money is being used properly which is interesting because and I think it's important to be able to assess Smotrich on on the work that he does and say, look, this really does make sense and it's the right call. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything the guy does is bad uh, just because he might, uh, he might say some things or do some things that are uncomfortable for us. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And more than that, uh, Smotrich uh, has come out saying that there's additional money that is being uh, given to the police uh, themselves to help them to somehow try mm. and get on top of this whole wave of violence that's going on in the Arab community right now. So not only is he wanting to make sure that the money that's going to the local authorities is properly used, but there's also money being avail- made available to the police to help them. Mm. Absolutely amazing. This the story of the flight from the Seychelles to Israel that has now been forced to land in Saudi Arabia because of uh, technical trouble. I find it so fascinating. It's like almost uh, the hand of God making sure that Israelis go to Saudi Arabia. Sort of, yeah. I mean, obviously there was a lot of concern last night when we heard that this flight that was uh, traveling from the Seychelles to Israel and obviously overflying Saudi Arabia being the shortest flight route to get there. Uh, and with approximately 150 Israelis on board, people who'd obviously been holidaying in the Seychelles, returning back to Israel, um, that it was forced to land in Saudi Arabia due to technical issues. And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh my goodness, um, Saudi Arabia and Israel have no diplomatic relations and how are Israelis going to be treated in Saudi Arabia when that plane ultimately uh, touches down and uh, visions of Entebbe um, coming back to life. Mm. Um, And yet what's quite interesting is that um, we know that Israeli uh, flight uh, companies have the right to overfly Saudi Arabia and there is little doubt 
that when those overflight agreements were reached, the Israeli government and the Mossad in particular would have been thinking about what happens in the event that an Israeli plane is overflying Saudi Arabia and is forced to land for one reason or another. They would have thought about that. Mm. And they mm. did. Because interestingly, the, pl- the plane landed in Jeddah. Why did the plane land in Jeddah? Because Jeddah has been set aside for exactly that purpose to allow Israeli or Israel-bound flights to land in Saudi Arabia in the event that it might be required during the overflight. So even though there is no diplomatic relation uh, in place, there are no diplomatic relations in place between Israel and Saudi Arabia, but the thoughts had already been, the, the planning had already been done, and Jeddah had been set aside as the place that Israeli-bound planes would land in the event that this was required. Um, we don't know the uh, exact situation regarding those, not 150, but 128 Israeli passengers who were on that flight. We do understand that, that uh, the uh, airline uh, Seychelles, um, Air Seychelles, had actually sent a plane from the Seychelles to pick up the passengers and allow them to continue their flight to Israel. We understand that they were going to be overnight in Saudi Arabia. We don't have any update from this morning, but we understand that they are due to continue their flight this morning back to Israel after having been overnight in Saudi Arabia. It's going to be interesting to see what stories come out of the overnight in Jeddah. I know that a lot of Israelis might have chosen not to leave the plane because there are instructions that have been given by the foreign ministry to Israelis that if they land in places which Mm. are not friendly to Israel, don't leave the plane. So I'm not exactly sure what would have gone down there, but I'm sure we'll hear a lot about it when they arrive in Israel. Absolutely incredible. I think it's a great story. And that is where we leave it, Anthony Reich. Thank you as always. We'll catch you tomorrow morning, 7.45 for the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com.